You are entering the Freedom Hut. Yesterday, President Trump took action to solve the immigration crisis, and today we realized that this was really a Democrats hate Trump crisis. That's right, this was for political gain. They have no real interest in fixing the overall immigration system. They want open borders, they want Trump to bend the knee, and they are looking to use this as a wedge issue to win the midterms. We'll talk about that, plus updates on where we are going with the investigation into the investigators at the DOJ and FBI, plus... Liberals love to track down conservatives and yell at them at restaurants. This is a troubling trend. We'll get into what we can do about it and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One small thing. Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. This could lead to family internment camps. Trump, once again, has lied. Of course, it was a crisis that he created and attempted to address today, but he didn't go anywhere near far enough. Just because the arsonist comes back and throws a bucket of water in the fire doesn't mean that they didn't start the fire in the first place. Do you give the president any credit for stopping a crisis of his own making? Their alteration of the policy in their heartlessness, if they're not going to lift a finger to reunite these kids with their families, then the American public needs to stay outraged. This is nothing short of inhumane, barbaric, and frankly immoral. Moving kids from DHS cages to DOD cages doesn't solve the problem. My administration is also acting swiftly to address the illegal immigration crisis on the southern border. Loopholes in our immigration laws all supported by extremist open border Democrats. And that's what they are. They're extremist open border Democrats. If you look at Nancy Pelosi or you look at Chuck Schumer, you'll see tapes where they wanted to have borders. They needed borders for security. Just a short while ago, a number of years ago, I see Chuck Schumer, we must have borders. Hillary Clinton, we must have borders. If people penetrate our borders, we must get them out of our country. Now, all of a sudden, they're big open border people. It's a whole big con job. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Short version here is that Trump is right and all those haters I played before him are wrong. Man, it's amazing to see this, isn't it? Here we are. The president finally says, okay, well, we'll I'll listen to this outcry. I, I care about kids, too. He fixes the problem, and now all the time goes, oh, he made the problem. You know, the problem was made by the Obama administration choosing the path of lawlessness because it was politically convenient for them. Hundreds of thousands of people have used the, oh, I have a child, let me into America excuse now to get into the country, and over 90% of them have not showed for their hearings. Over 90%. So this just was another way of getting a wave of illegals into the country. And Trump is saying, all right, we're not going to do this anymore. But there are so many people that are used to thinking that this is the the easy way. This is the open door into America. Show up with a kid that we we weren't prepared for housing all of these people. Because that's not what we're supposed to be doing. This is not the way it's supposed to work. But Trump said, okay, fine, I get it. Kids, we'll take care of the kids. And now they're just finding another way, another way to uh, complain about the president. This has always been about how much they hate Trump, more than it's about hating kids. I mean, more than it's about helping kids, rather. Uh, This has always been about how much they despise the president of the United States. 
And I applaud him for saying that they are extremist, open borders Democrats, because that's what they are. No one ever asked the question, it seems like to me at least, I don't ever see it asked on TV, who is not allowed to stay? Does anyone get deported anymore? Oh, okay, only violent criminals. Violent criminals, we don't really care that much about them being deported because if they're going to spend the next 20 or 30 years in American prison, guess what? We're paying for them anyway, right? So the whole, oh, we're going to deport violent criminals. Yeah, after they've served their sentence here, so the taxpayer's still on the hook for it. By the time they actually get deported, we've had to, we've had to deal with it. Does anyone else get, does anyone else get kicked out of the country? I, I do recall, and I, I want to do a little more of a deep dive into this to make sure that I, I see what ended up happening, but you know when there was? The last time I can remember, there was a little bit of opposition to allowing people into this country and claiming asylum. It was from Democrats, and it had to do with Iraqis. But it was a very particular kind of Iraqi. Iraqi Christians. Because Christians fleeing the Muslim world and seeking asylum in the United States doesn't really, it doesn't really get the left excited. They, they don't, that doesn't make them feel all warm and fuzzy for a whole bunch of reasons that we could talk about another time. But here we are again with the President of the United States trying to do the best he can under the circumstances. You know, you could say he... And they keep saying this is a problem of Trump's creation. The truth is, this is a problem that Donald Trump inherited from Barack Obama. And Barack Obama created the problem with his lawlessness. The alternative here, folks, was to continue the Obama catch-and-release policy at the southern border, which just allows so many people to come into the country. It means no consequences for illegal entry, for failed illegal entry. It's not that hard to come into this country illegally. Look at the guy who shot Kate Steinle. What, he'd been deported, producer Mike, what was it, seven times, I think? Seven times, okay? He's not James Bond. He wasn't wearing disguises or being para-dropped into the United States. He just snuck across the border seven times. And now someone's dead because we couldn't keep him out of the country. And now Kate Steinle's life has been taken from her. Her family shattered as a result of our inability to keep people from coming into the country illegally. And, you know, the basic economics of this do not work out, folks. You cannot have a massive welfare state and unrestricted immigration from the third world, from the developing world, from impoverished countries that do not speak our language. It does not benefit us. People say, oh, Buck, but the history of immigration in this country, wrong. The history of immigration in this country is periods of open door for immigrants from some places and then stop, let's assimilate, let's allow things to to settle a bit. It has been peaks and valleys. It has not just been, you know, people always refer to the the, uh, the Emma Lazarus poem and the Statue of Liberty, like, that's policy. It's not policy. We did not say, give me your tide, you're hungry. If you showed up at Ellis Island and, you know, they thought that you had, uh, you know, tuberculosis, or you know, they, you know, they'd turn you back. Do they ever, in the media, do they ever talk about how, about with, with the great waves of immigration, uh, including Italians and Germans in the early 20th century, that a, a good percentage, something in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 percent of them, Went back. Why would they go back? Because if it wasn't working here, guess what? There was no welfare state to tap into. There was no, hey, the taxpayer is going to give me health care, going to give me housing. Gonna No. It was tough here. People went back home. 
You don't have that anymore. America is a great place to show up and expect other people to take care of things for you. And when you look at the usage of of welfare that then gets transferred to illegal immigrants, because all you need is, you know, if you have a kid and one person in the household, then illegals, there's so many end runs on the system. Never mind what happens in, and I've seen this with my own eyes, okay, what happens in emergency rooms, how they're used as a first line of care by illegals, which clogs emergency rooms, which you, I'm telling you, you will be very displeased if this has never happened to you when you show up in an emergency room because, you know, you had a little accident with the electric saw in your uh, in your garage and you really need help and someone's there getting a vision test. You know, someone's there for an ear an earache. Lots of people there for that. And and by the way, you're paying for that too. So, you know, there's so many lies about this issue that have been out there and you'll just notice the primary effort has been to make this about Trump and about how terrible he is, how mean he is, how awful he is. But, you know, they also have gone after other administration officials now. Uh, they went after Ivanka. Full disclosure, Ivanka and I were pretty friendly growing up, so there's that. Uh, I think I've said that to you all before. I, you know, so she's very busy these days, so I don't get a chance to catch up with her. But uh, she's, she's a senior advisor to the president, also the president's daughter. And they're blaming Ivanka for this stuff, too. Play nine. And it's her silence amid the crisis that is so striking. And it's not the first time she has done this. I'm going to say something here that is not out of the realm of possibility, that the patriarchal pull in this family really is so strong that she does feel intimidated, that she does feel like she can't do this. She can do this. This this is a moment. Be Ivanka Trump stepping up. And taking charge of reuniting those 2,300 uh, children, asking the those lost children, those lost toddlers, those lost infants, those lost young girls, that would be using her position. If she could show the world that she cares about mothers and children, um, that would be good. And that if she can't, that no one's going to ever respect her again, because this whole thing has been a joke. This position that she holds is a joke. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? From Mika there. Whenever I want really astute political analysis, I turn to Mika because, you know, Brzezinski and stuff. Uh, anyway, pretty, pretty amazing. By the way, do we, do we have the clip of, uh, of Joe and Mika where he tries to hold her head or something? We got to get that. We got it. We got to get that one. Oh, man. Funny, funny stuff. So, yeah, this is what's happening, folks. The, uh, they're, they're lying about all this stuff. And, and here, you know, you know who really, you know who nailed it? I mean, I'll, I like to think I nail it on radio every night. But you know who really nailed this issue? I got, I got to give him credit. Newt, Newt Gingrich. This really is just about using kids as the, uh, as the Trojan horse for open borders. And because the Democrats love this, right? You're seeing a pattern. You're seeing a pattern. I'll tell you about the pattern in a second. But here, here's what Newt said about open borders. Play 13. He signed an executive order. Oddly enough, the very Democrats who wanted him to act came back immediately and didn't like the fact that he acted. Uh, but, but the president has the right position, which is, yes, we want to keep children with, with their families, but we also want to control the border. The Democrats want to use the children as an excuse to go to an open border where tens of millions of people could flood into the U.S. Remember, there's been a huge increase because of the cartels right. and because of the Mexican government. The Obama administration right. had a zero-tolerance policy. And you can find quote after quote of the Obama administration leadership saying, we're not going to let people come across the border illegally. Right. 
It's true. The Obama administration was saying they weren't going to allow this, but they did allow it. Right? They lie. They were lying the issue of immigration, which is no surprise. Democrats lie all the time. But on the use of children for political ends, here's the big pattern. Democrats feel like they made some headway after years of not getting anywhere with the gun debate. Just they'd always they'd try and they'd have some some buffoon like Piers Morgan or something out there. Oh, oh, that's great. Let's have an overpaid, pompous British guy explain the Second Amendment to us badly. And oh, by the way, he's never fired a weapon. Let's have that guy telling us, you know, what's wrong with you? Why can't you just get rid of your guns? You know? Yeah, well. Not exactly the that's a, CNN. Yeah, give Piers Morgan a big show. That's a, that's a brilliant idea. Uh, anyway, but they, they managed to, and even Obama was not able to get any make any headway really on gun control. But they think that with the Parkland kids and deploying the Parkland kids, not just on gun control, but also in a few cases as as a, as weapons against conservative media targets we saw that right They're, they they weren't just limiting themselves to gun control after a while it was you know they would criticize people and if they got criticized back oh, look what you're saying about the children oh my gosh they've been traumatized why are you so evil they did it with parkland they did it on guns and now they're doing it on immigration the border they are using children they are exploiting the fear the suffering of kids for clearly partisan ends it's a disgrace because ultimately this also falls into that great separation between conservatives and liberals where i think conservative i think liberals are wrong i just think they're wrong i think that they don't really understand human nature and society and history and i think that they're just wrong liberals don't understand or know any of those things and think that you and i are evil we are evil and our view of kids at the border is an extension of that because they deep down really believe that you and I don't care about seeing, you know, a 10 month old who's crying because he misses mommy. Of course, we get sad about that. Of course, we want him to be able to see mommy. But we're also dealing with a national policy crisis and we're trying to keep a country together here. And there are limitations on how comfortable and happy we can make everybody when people are breaking the law on a massive scale time and time again. As you can tell, we're just getting started here. 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. If you would like to chat, tape, what do you think about this? We'll be right back. So the Democrats want open borders. Let everybody come in. Let everybody pour in. We don't care. Let them come in from the Middle East. Let them come in from all over the place. We don't care. We're not going to let it happen. And by the way, today I signed an executive order. We're going to keep families together, but the border is going to be just as tough as it's been. Democrats don't care about the impact of uncontrolled migration on your communities, your schools, your hospitals, your jobs or your safety. Democrats put illegal immigrants before they put American citizens. What the hell is going on? Illegal immigration costs our country hundreds of billions of dollars. So imagine if we could spend that money to help bring opportunity 
to our inner cities and our rural communities and our roads and our highways and our schools. You know, this is where Trump is just incredible, folks. There is no other Republican, period, who can make as strong and compelling a case about this as Trump does. And really just talk about it, really get into it. You know, this is what's going on. Illegal immigration is a massive transfer of wealth from you, the taxpayer, you, the citizen, to non-citizens. It is a it, it is a massive campaign of lawlessness by Democrats who are hoping to import constituencies that will vote for them and keep them in power. And they are utterly and completely devoted to this idea now. I mean, when you look at what Democrats are, what is the top of the Democrat agenda? It is abortion, illegal immigration, and probably higher taxes. You know, Socialized medicine, maybe. That, that, that's what they want to do. That is what they are focused on. By the way, speaking of making the case, shameless plug here. The Freedom Home with Buck Sexton is live, baby. It is up. The new podcast. Please, please go check it out. Subscribe to it. You go to the uh, iTunes store, type in the Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton, or just the Freedom Hut. It'll pop up. You'll see it. We did a show yesterday. Comrade Commie Bear makes an appearance. So if you're wondering who the heck is Comrade Commie Bear, you got to download that podcast and please tell some friends about it. Uh, we want to grow that thing out. If we get to enough downloads on that show, you know what happens next, folks? We do a streaming video of the Freedom Hut podcast. That's right. We're going to start to do a live stream. And then we're going to start doing other, and we might even have some folks who can join us via video chat on the live stream. I've got all kinds of crazy and fantastic ideas. More time for all of us to hang out, chat, talk about what matters, have some fun. That's the idea. So the Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton, it is available on iTunes. Also, those of you listening, please do give it a review. Uh, hopefully, hopefully five stars. But uh, we like to see reviews up there. It pushes it up in the Apple Store. And, uh, and also, if you write a nice thing about me or about the show, that helps because people read that stuff. So... And, and please do it before the uh, before the libs find out that, that this is going on, because then they'll try to do the one star. He's terrible. He's so mean. He does all these silly voices for Democrats, but like Republicans, he doesn't do the mean voices. Fact check. True. But still, go check out the Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton on iTunes. He's back with you now, because when it comes to the fight for truth, the buck never stops. Thank the Border Patrol. I think they're doing the best they can under the circumstances. They have handled this well, but the facilities just do not uh, meet the need, and we have to be helpful. Well, I hope that while some may have tried to politicize it, I hope that that was not the case. And I think anyone who comes here knows that this is not about an issue, it's about a value, and it's a value that we share, all Americans share, is that we, are, uh, we will show how strong we are to the rest of the world on how we deal with this humanitarian opportunity or crisis that we have. That's some really reasonable stuff from Nancy Pelosi. You know, I mean, she, she, Nancy Pelosi had just visited a child detention facility at the border. And she you heard her, right? She's saying they're doing the best they can. It's a difficult situation. We're working on this as best we can. And 
You know, Border Patrol, they, they deserve some credit for trying to handle this. They're not really meant for this. You know, I'm just like, well, you know, Nancy, that's really... Oh, it was in 2014 when Obama was president. Oh, okay. Okay. That was the... That's the big difference. I see. That's amazing, Producer Mike, how that happens. Same facilities, same problem, same thing happening, and yet you're not hearing her be like, uh, is there... Is there concentration camps? No, she's like, yeah. Look, it's tough. You know, they're doing the best they can. They got a difficult situation here. We're gonna, we're gonna, but we're gonna, you know, we're gonna rise to the challenge. What changed? Oh, that's right. Trump is president, not Obama. Oh, the hypocrisy. The defining characteristic of liberalism is hypocrisy, as I keep saying, because it is so very, very true. Wasn't that amazing, guys? You probably were listening to that if you, because you know, I, I had a little cheat sheet here, so I knew what year it was. But you must have been thinking for a second. Well, oh, Pelosi, she's you know, she's not really dumping on the border patrol. She's saying it's a t- oh, that's right, because the border patrol at the time is part of the executive branch. And who was at the top of the executive branch in 2014? Oh, that's right, Barack Obama. Well, it's really hard. We got the border. We got a lot of people. I want to cross the border. And uh, we got these detention facilities and these little kids. We want to take care of the kids. But we want a secure border. Uh, and, you know, they didn't. They wanted to let kids come into the country and you know, tens of thousands of them. And part of this is, I would just note, no one ever discusses how by creating a huge incentive for children to be used as props to get entry for adults at the border, all the terrible stuff that happened as a result of that. Really, really bad things. Kids died. Kids sexually assaulted. A lot of that happened. And you're, you you see little bits of reporting on this. Not all that much. Little little bits of it here and there. You, you know, Melania Trump, the first lady, went down to the border. And the, the biggest thing I saw, the, the biggest report was that she was wearing, and you know, the media went crazy on this one. She's wearing some kind of fashion, ja- fashion jacket that said, uh, I really don't care, do you? So Melania wore a 30, it's a $39 jacket, which I'm sure is, it is, it's sold out, isn't it, Mike? Everybody bought this. Once somebody sees something like this, it becomes a news story. Everybody buys it. Uh, so yeah, she said there's no, she says there's no hidden meaning to it. Uh, I don't think, I don't know. I don't know what to say about this one. I, I think there, I don't think it was a hidden meaning thing, but it isn't, it wouldn't have been my choice. I'd say that it wouldn't wouldn't have been my choice. Mike, what do you think? The, the the jacket was this just a just a thing that happened? I can't hear Mike. Where do you go? Yeah, I don't think it's a thing that just happened. I, I don't believe in uh, just haphazard accidents or mistakes. I think it was uh, not to send a particular message, but just it, it poked the bear. Get the media talking about it. I think that's what Trump's great at doing. Yeah. Yeah, because there's kind of an irony to it, right? She wears that as she's going down to the... Yeah, there's no way... Yeah, you're right. There's no way... I just don't really understand what the message is. I think you're right, though. But it's poking the bear. That would make sense. The media freaked out about this. Oh, my gosh. Melania's careless coat, they wrote. Exactly. Dude, they were in... I mean, they lost their minds. It was... Coat, they wrote, said the cat in the hat. Uh, Yeah, this is... This is a thing that happened. Uh, She was down, though, at the detention facility... And I want to just play some of the audio from what it was like. The first lady's down there. She's taking this, you know, she's taking this up as a personal matter. Ivanka Trump tweeted about this today. 
so she's also taking it up as a as a personal uh, an area of personal interest. But here's how here's what Melania said. Play 14. I'm here to learn about your facility and which I know you house children on a long-term basis. And I also like to ask you how I can help to these children to reunite with their families as quickly as possible. So thank you again for all what you do. Okay, so, you know, she's just trying to figure out. She's on a fact-finding mission down there. And, you know, the First Lady, look, this has gotten a lot of attention. As I said, if we if this problem was being approached from the perspective in the press and, and in this discussion of, hey, every everyone wants to take care of little kids. All right. Everyone wants little kids to be safe, to be fed, to be OK. No one wants to put little kids through a trauma unnecessarily. We get it. OK, so what do we do about this? How do we fix this? But what the Democrats did is they said it's about kids trauma. Now it's about family trauma. It was you're putting kids in kitty prisons and now it's you're putting families in family prisons. Well, the, the alternative is just people get to come into the country. The alternative is that we don't really have an immigration system worthy of the name. Which is what the Democrats want, by the way. That is what they want. Um, in fact, Newt laid it down on this one. Before we go back to Milani, here's what Gingrich said about that exact point. Play 12. He signed an executive order to make sure children are not separated from their parents. They will now implement that. He has said correctly, the Congress ought to change the law. After all, it's a law passed by Congress, which caused this mess, plus two judicial decisions. Uh, The Congress ought to pass a law. And we already have Senator Schumer on the Democratic side basically saying he doesn't want to pass a law. Um, He he really worries about the children unless it means Donald Trump would win, at which point he doesn't worry about the children because he can't let Trump win. I think this will, in the end, uh, remind people how irresponsible and how intellectually dishonest the Democrats have become. Yep. Absolutely true. Absolutely the case. This will remind people of how irresponsible the uh, the Democrats have become. And, and that's one of the things that I'm trying to do here on the show. Just no good faith in this discussion at all, really. It's very difficult. But anyway, so Melania's back to Melania. I'm jumping around a little bit here. Back to Melania. So she wore this. I, don't, I really don't care. Do you coat? I agree with Mike. It, that, there's no way you put that on. and don't realize that it's saying something. It's just, you know, right. I mean, yeah. So see, Mike keeps Mike keeps me on the straight and narrow. Doesn't doesn't allow the uh, just just because I'm the proprietor of the Freedom Hut doesn't mean that I get to just like make it up as I go along in here. So Melania then asked to the detention center or the, the detention center employees about uh, how often kids can speak to families. Here, here, this was a very interesting point here. Play 15. I heard you have like 58 children here. And those children, how many times they speak with their relatives or families per week, for example? The children are allowed to communicate with their family twice a week. Mm-hmm. They get a 10-minute phone call. But first, we have to ensure that the persons that they're contacting their families are indeed their families. So there is a process. We have to follow all of or our policies and regulations uh, and make sure that we identify, positively identify, that the persons that they're communicating with are indeed their family. And that could be through verification of birth certificates, photo identification, uh, but they do communicate with their families. they got to make sure they're actually talking to family. 
child trafficking has become a big problem at the border because of the policies the Obama administration pursued and the way that they disregarded certain aspects of the law. Think about that. I mean, th- th- that's a-, a consequence of this lawlessness. And, you know, it never gets discussed here, really. I mean, it very rarely gets discussed as part of all of this. You know, people that are bringing children to the border that aren't really their kids. And, and now, how do you handle that? I-, I would also note that now you have the uh, the settling of a lot, not settled, but the, the temporary housing of a lot of these uh, family units from the border. They're going to go to DOD facilities. I think, although I might be wrong on this one, this is getting down the weeds, I think that that may mean that the Flores consent decree from the 90s uh, does not necessarily technically hold, so you might be able to keep them on a DOD facility longer than 20. I could be wrong on that, though. Uh, But they are moving to DOD facilities, so they're going to be on some military bases, uh, which they're going to be housed, I assume, in in barracks uh, situations. So that's one consequence also of of this executive order. But I would note that you're going to probably see a lawsuit or there's a liability that's going to come from the government housing these individuals. The moment that, you know, a a child is attacked or or violated at one of these uh, in any of these government facilities because the child was kept with adults or with an adult that claimed to be a relative, you're going to I think you're going to see lawsuits from that. You're going to see lawsuits across the board from people that are just trying to weigh the administration down and make life difficult for all things Trump. So that's part of it. They're probably, mark my words, they're probably going to have lawsuits that come against Trump from organizations like the ACLU for putting families together when technically, legally speaking, it doesn't really have the authority to, to do this. You know, the moment that you have a kid that's there 21 days instead of 20, they're not going to say, well, I mean, but this is they're keeping the family together and this is a good faith act by the government. Nope, they're going to sue. So you can expect a lot of lawsuits in this. There's no good faith in this discussion whatsoever. Uh, So this is this is it's been an important reminder, folks, Democrats. There's no honesty. There's no decency in the way they're approaching this issue. It's become very emotionalized for them. They are all about making this a. Democrats, good, kind, caring, Republicans, evil conversation. Republicans are evil. Meanwhile, we're the ones that understand that if you do not have borders, you don't really have a country. A country beyond that is it's just a conception. I mean, if you don't control geographic territory, you are not a nation state. If anyone can come and go as they please and not have to really check in with you, that's an issue. That is an issue. But there will be more of these radical open borders types speaking in the days and weeks ahead. You'll see it. They're gaining steam right now. I mean, they they are growing in brazenness. And I, I think it's because they they view this as an open. They view this as an opening right now. They really do. Uh, they think that. People are coming over to their side of the equation. Here's what I think. I think Trump knows that the American people are with him on this. In fact, there's a, a new poll from Rasmussen says that. Uh, Quote, when families are arrested and separated after attempting to enter the United States illegally, 54% of likely U.S. voters say the parents are more to blame for breaking the law. Latest Rasmussen Report's National Telephone and Online Survey finds that only 35% believe the federal government is more to blame for enforcing the law. Here's another part of this, folks, that I think gets lost in this whole conversation. On this whole issue, ultimately, politically, 
Not only is Trump right because the law is the law, Trump will win politically. Trump has come out of this once again with all these people arrayed against him, fighting as dirty as they can, all the hatred, all the nastiness. A majority of the American people are going to be with him on this one. And a majority of the American people who go to the polls in the midterms, I think, are going to remember this. They are going to remember. Um, 844-900-BUCK if you want to chat. 844-900-2825. We will be right back. The media never talks about the American victims of illegal immigration. I know them well. I know so many of them. I campaigned with them. What's happened to their children? What's happened to their husbands? What's happened to their wives? The media doesn't talk about the American families permanently separated from their loved ones because Democrat policies release violent criminals into our communities. We need safety. We need safety. They don't bring cameras to interview the angel moms whose children were killed by criminal aliens who should have never been here in the first place, not even close. They don't want to talk to the angel moms. But as your president, I will always fight to protect American families. Always. President knows how to knows how to get his message across, and certainly knows how to get a crowd fired up. That's for sure. All right, we got lots of calls lighting up the lines here. Brian in Jackson, Mississippi. Hey, Brian. Hey, Buck. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for your call, sir. Shield tie, brother. Big fan. Shield tie. Thank you. I just I just want to get your response on something. You know, uh, as we're talking about immigration, illegal immigration today, that's the big topic. You know of the week now, which we'll have another. Whenever we have these situations and Trump calls for Congress to do something and let's get a proposal on the table and let's get something done about this, let's make something happen. 90% of the time, it's the Republicans bringing something to the table to be voted upon. And the Democrats rarely bring anything to the table. They just bring amnesty, Brian. I mean, you're right. But all they want is amnesty. Right. You know that. I know that. Trump needs to tell them, all right, let's see your proposal. Let's make them say it. Tell us. Yeah, well, the, well their proposal is, is DACA is amnesty. I'm telling you, that's Brian, you're, you're, you're spot on here, but it's just, you know, I'm as frustrated as you by this, man. Democrats don't have any proposals other than, yeah, let's legalize everybody and then let's have more legal immigration. That's what they want, man. You're on to it. I'm on to it. Brian, Shields High, and thank you for the call. Tim up in Rhode Island. Hey, Tim. Hey, Buck Shields High. Thanks for taking my call. Shields High. So I was having a conversation with a guy at work, obviously, immigration hot topic right now. And, um, you know, he brought up the argument, well, you know, uh, immigrant people, they come up here and they do the jobs that Americans don't want to do. And, you know, I got I got very defensive after he said that because I said, so what kind of jobs would that be? He said, oh, cleaning toilets. I said, come on, what? People, United States citizens can't clean a toilet, so they're incapable to clean a toilet? Is that... Is that your argument here? He I mean, said, yeah, I can take this to ex- I, I can take this to a bit of, a, of an extremer, Tim. But you know, for example, if somebody was going to pay you uh, 150 bucks an hour to you know to, to clean up, would you would you do it? I would do it. Heck, I could use the Absolutely. money. Absolutely, it's a function it's of economics. 
So when they say they won't do the jobs, it's because, yeah, because the labor, their wages are being undercut by people that are coming who are being paid off the books who are illegal. Yeah, I know. Um, I think we lost Tim. Tim, I'm sorry. You got me fired up. Uh, Team Hour 2 coming up. We're going to talk about a Sex in the City star who's got some thoughts on ice. Here's the short version. Shut it down. Who needs borders or border security? Wow. I'm sitting here right now in the Freedom Hut, and you know what I'm drinking? Black Rifle Coffee. Why? Because it's delicious, and I love America and freedom and supporting veterans who have built a kick-butt company that is all about helping fellow veterans and making some delicious coffee, too. You can go online and check it out for yourself. In fact, you can get a subscription to Black Rifle Coffee and have them send your preferred blend or K-cup flavors to you every month. You'll never have to think about getting coffee at the store again. All you have to do is visit BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck and type in Buck15 at checkout. You'll receive 15% off your first order. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com slash Buck. Coupon code Buck15 to get just 15% slashed off that order. I'm a subscriber. I drink it every day. I think it's delicious. Don't drink that commie coffee. Put it aside and join the freedom revolution with Black Rifle Coffee. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I've got sad news for you. Uh, it just broke in the last hour. We just found out here that... Uh, the the peerless writer thinker uh, Charles Crodhammer has uh, has passed away. He is an icon to conservatives, and I can say I'm somebody who always has made it a a habit of knowing who in this uh, this business that I'm in and have been in now for almost eight years uh, or going on eight years who is a really good person and someone to emulate and someone whose skills you should look up to to as a way to motivate yourself and to learn from someone else. And, and Crodhammer's at the very top of that list. I never met him, never got a chance to work with him or meet him, which is uh, now, of course, feels like even you know an even greater shame because I'll never get that opportunity. So I can't tell you any personal stories about, uh, about Charles Crodhammer. I can tell you that he's someone who I read voraciously, stretching back all the way to my time in college. There are only a few columnists that I, I seek out and would seek out and read their columns. They didn't have to be put in front of me. It didn't have to be something that you know I happened to stumble upon in the newspaper. I would really make the effort to find. And there's, uh, I could count the number of people that I feel that way about on one hand. And Crothammer was one of them. Uh, so, yeah, he he passed away. You will recall we discussed the letter that he wrote a, a couple of weeks ago, saying that his time was was coming to an end. So, uh, very sad. And uh, thoughts and prayers to his family. And I, I thought that this would be worth sharing as well, because I, I don't have any personal story, but I saw this online uh, from Nash Jenkins, who is a writer for Time magazine. I thought this was a very, a very moving story, and uh, I'll share it with you now in, in honor of, of the passing of, of Dr. Charles Krauthammer. <clears throat> so these are Nash's words. I'd like to share a story about Charles Krauthammer. In October 2016, 
my dad met Charles and Robert Reich at a thing in Washington. I'm not sure exactly what the thing was, but they chatted for a while after. My dad's a geek for this stuff, so he got a photo and posted it to Instagram. Nash Jenkins posts this photo here of his dad with, with Charles Krauthammer. And he writes, Until I saw that photo, I had no idea that Krauthammer was in a wheelchair. I knew him as the pundit that conservatives of an older generation, like my dad, revered. I looked it up and learned that in his first year of medical school at Harvard, Krauthammer was in a swimming accident that left him largely paralyzed. Despite this, he found success as a psychiatrist and then as a political writer. Still, I remember thinking, how sad. On June 25th of last year, I was living in Hong Kong. I got a FaceTime call shortly after midnight from my mom back home in North Carolina. I almost didn't answer. Everything is okay, but your dad's been in an accident, she told me. My dad is now 56, but up until that point, he had been pathologically active. In this case, he was surfing in Nicaragua. A wave had crashed on him and slammed him to the bottom. He quickly realized he couldn't move. To abbreviate a long story that's still very painful, after a 48-hour trip from the jungle to Managua uh, to the neurological uh, hospital at UNC, my dad learned that he had broken his neck and severed his spinal cord. He was and remains paralyzed from the chest down. Doctors told him very candidly that he'd never walk again. For my sisters and me, those first two weeks remain foggy. Those memories are shrouded in a patina of grief, confusion, fear, and in my case, jet lag. I'd flown back from Hong Kong once we realized the severity of the injury. But what I do remember is the email that Charles Krauthammer sent my dad. I'd like, to, I'd like to share it here. Dear Mr. Jenkins, I heard about your accident. I'm so sorry. I enjoyed meeting you last year and in, am deeply sympathetic to your new and most harrowing situation. As you know, I've been there. I know full well how difficult things are at the beginning and often how hopeless they seem. I also do know what's possible, and it turns out to be quite a lot. I don't pretend it's everything, but a good and productive and deeply enjoyable life is possible. What it required in my case was the simple determination to keep going in the direction I was heading. I found that I could do psychiatry and then a journalism career at a totally even par with my colleagues. Your accident is occurring much later in life than mine, I was 22, which presents its own challenges. On the other hand, you have so many years of experience and so much respect and admiration from friends, colleagues, and family accumulated over a lifetime. They will serve you well and help you through what will, at first, be significant challenges. I write you because I know the challenges firsthand. I know how discouraging they can be initially, but I also know with absolute certainty that they can be accommodated and even overcome and that a good life is possible. I'm fully aware of how terribly discouraging it is to have put in twice the effort for gains that seem so meager at the beginning, but I can assure you that it can be done, and then it is rewarded. I don't mean to sugarcoat things. Life is more difficult with a spinal cord injury, but the obstacles are not insurmountable. I know this is all scant consolation and is not really meant uh, as such. It is simply meant to give you a different perspective on your future. Mine is from the rearview mirror. I know what actually can be. I also know that for you, so soon after your accident, it is perspective. You are looking into a future that is necessarily unclear to you. I only wish 
to assure you from my own experience of 45 years post-accident that it can be a very good life indeed. I hope this is helpful. I wish you all the best in your recovery. Charles Crodhammer. It's quite a letter to receive from somebody that was a, a hero for uh, Nash's dad, given the situation that he had gone through that at that stage in life to be paralyzed. Nash continues here with the story. There is no playbook for coping with spinal cord injuries. They're statistically rare. Support networks are limited at best. But in a year that has been defied by uncertainty and emotional exhaustion, that letter has meant the world to my dad and to us. I always wanted to thank Mr. Crothammer for that, and I'm ashamed that I never did. It was a voice of lucid hope at a time when my family needed it more than anything. I will always be so grateful for it. Anyway, I'm a wreck now as I've been for much of the last 12 months, but who's counting? Monday marks a year since my dad's injury, and I love him so much. I guess I don't really care about his politics right now. There'll be others to eulogize and critique that. I'm writing this because Charles Crothammer knew what to say at a time when virtually no one did, and he took the time to say it, and it meant so much. I can't think of a a better eulogy to give a person who has just passed away than for someone who didn't even know Charles very well to reach out and say his gifts, his understanding of life, and his wisdom weren't just things that people read on a page, that they affected people's lives, that they gave people, like Nash Jenkins' father, strength and courage and perspective at critical times in their lives. And it's a reminder to me and to all of us who are in this business, who look up at someone like Charles Krauthammer as one of the the true greats, one of the people that blazed the path for all the rest of us to follow, uh, that this work that we do, writing, speaking, television, talking about ideas, can have a real impact on people's lives, not just in the general sense of the national conversation, but in giving people hope, uh, in giving people comfort, and in sharing the knowledge that can make even the most difficult situations in life seem like they are surmountable, seem like it is possible to push through and carry on. And dare I even say Charles Kronhammer was someone who gave millions of people across the country uh, the ability and the strength to hold their shields high like Charles did throughout his life. We'll be right back. The door's been kicked wide open when it comes to celebrities running for president. Because, look, the current president, as great as he is, is also a celebrity. Celebrity's not a dirty word. Right? There are some, you know, Ronald Reagan was a celebrity. He was an actor. Right? So we know this. And there's some great, hey, Chris Pratt had a really inspiring speech he gave early week. Celebrities can be great people, too. Okay? Conservatives, I feel like, have a tendency to, we, we like to bash all celebrities. And then once in a while, celebrities a, a little bit nice to not even conservatism, just traditional values. We go, oh my gosh, there's a movie star who likes us. But generally speaking, we are we are pretty cynical about celebrities getting involved in the political discussion. And because most of them are, look, let's be honest, most of them are just complete clowns, right? Most of them walk around. You get like the Tim Robbinses of the world. You got the uh, Bell, whatever guys, Belzer. These people who are just 
they've all got the politics of Michael Moore. And, you know, Michael Moore's got the politics of hating America and being a disingenuous uh, redistributionist phony. But and, and, and propagandist, by the way, complete and utter propagandist. But not, nonetheless, I'm open minded to the idea that you that you can have some celebrities that are going to run for things. And look, if if Oprah were to run for office, she would be formidable. Could she be Trump? I don't know. But could she, you know, would Oprah have, you know, uh, been able to beat some of the other candidates that we've seen in the national level? Oh, yeah, she would. Let's just be honest about it, folks. She would. Cynthia Nixon is not Oprah. But <laughs> so so that's a statement of fact. But she, for those of you who don't know, she is a, a an actress who is best known and really, I would say, almost entirely known for her role on the show Sex and the City. Which, because of my, because of, of past girlfriends that I've had, I have seen episodes of, okay? I, I, am, I am somewhat familiar with the, you know, the Sex and the City genre and, and the show and all that stuff. I think, by the way, it's a terrible show for the message that it gives women. And I've actually convinced some of my female friend peers about this, and they agree with me. It's really a very selfish, and it, it, the people in the show are selfish, immature, superficial. They're not good people. They're not honorable people. They're really self-indulgent and destructive. And and this whole thing of like, who cares about who cares about a family or 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 decency? Like, let's just drink mimosas and like go shop for shoes. It's not good. It's you know, and a lot of the women who watched it who are my age now, I think, were led down the wrong the wrong path with that stuff, but. Maybe I'll I'll do a full Sex in the City bash another time. Bashing. <laughs> Throwing a party for Sex in the City. Yay! You know? No, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, but Cynthia Nixon may be running, but she said some interesting things about this whole border. I think she's she running against uh, not Bro Cuomo, the other Cuomo, right? Cynthia Nixon does not have a chance to defeat the current governor of New York. Nobody can defeat a man who yells in a monotone without irony. As the governor of New York named Cuomo, who has a brother who lifts weights at CNN. Yeah, that's, I, I don't think she's going to be able to beat Cuomo. Uh, who, who does look a little bit like Vigo from the, the painting in Ghostbusters 2. Some of you got that reference. A lot of you are like, what the heck are you talking about, Buck? But if you go check, look at Cuomo and look at Vigo. It is Vigo from Ghostbusters 2. You'll see exactly. In that painting, they look alike, guys. I'm just telling you the truth. But so Nixon is running, and she said some things that I think illustrate a little bit more of the uh, Democrat position than they usually like to illustrate. They don't want us to know what they really think about this stuff. Uh, but but here's what she said about immigration. Because she's not the only one to say this, right? we got a congressman who's running an ad on this. Here's what Cynthia Nixon had to say about immigrations and customs enforcement. Play 17. Parents and children aren't just being separated uh, at the border. You know, they're being separated throughout this country by mm -hmm. ICE. Yes. I think we need to abolish ICE. That seems really clear. <laughs> and replace it with. We don't need to replace, we, you know, ICE is relatively new. It came in after September 11th. We've been handling immigration and customs for a long time here. We don't need ICE, and, and they have strayed so far from the interests of the American people and the interests of humanity. Uh, we, need to, we need to abolish it. Abolish immigrations and customs? So, so, just, 
it's such a dumb it's such a dumb thing to say that you're left being like is she really just a is she just a dodo i mean is she just an idiot i, I don't understand it's kind of mean by the way you know the whole dodo thing actually comes from the dodo bird which was a flightless bird that was uh hunted to extinction because it really had no natural predators in its habitat and they used to club dodo birds and they weren't even particularly skittish around humans so no more no more dodo birds uh anyway she uh she wants to abolish immigration and customs. So that means what? Like human trafficking, drug trafficking, just let everything come in. No more national sovereignty. Whatever wants to be here can be here. We'll just have the taxpayer foot the bill for whoever shows up with whatever they show up carrying. This, this is, by the way, she was there with, with Joy Behar. Hello, Joy Behar. You know, I just don't understand. Why can't we just, you know, abol- we should abolish it. Absolutely. Joy Behar doesn't like it. I think that's pretty close. But I gotta, I'll work on my bear. i got to listen to her a little more. Get her really in my ear. You know, she kind of sounds... It's like if Gilbert Gottfried had, had a sister. Uh, the fact that she's on TV and paid... She's paid millions of dollars to give her opinion, folks. I don't know what that says about this country, but it doesn't say good things. But Cynthia Nixon, after her incredibly stupid comment about immigration and customs enforcement, she... She, she went even further. She wanted to go for an even cheaper applause line. In some ways, an even dumber one, too. So get rid of immigrations and customs. Remember, we had a Congress, a guy running for Congress with an ad saying that, too. This isn't just Cynthia Nixon. This has now become a talking point because the left has lost its mind. You know, let's, just, let's just abolish immigrations and customs. Huh? How are you going to do that? Well, what are you going to You're going to replace it with the really nice immigrations and customs service? Or what, how is that supposed to work? But then she just went after Trump because she's on The View and you need a cheap applause line. Play 16. It's devastating, the images from the border. And, and I have to say, the, the, the recordings of children uh, begging for their parents, uh, I'm, I guess I am glad he has signed this executive order against himself, protecting them from yes. him. I wish he would sign some more executive orders protecting all of us from, from him. him. <laughs> Yay, clapping, ignorant people clapping. Uh, she, she just encapsulated really the, the Democrat position on Trump and the executive order right there, which is I, I applaud Trump protecting us from Trump and what Trump did and how we should have more protection from Trump. This is just, it's about Trump hatred straight up, full stop. That's what this is. They don't really care. They don't really care about these kids i keep having to say it yeah sure they like to cry and get all emotional whatever you know but they don't care they're not doing anything they're not, they're not, they're not working to fix the problem I, i'm sorry i really don't believe that they care all that much by the way do they, how much do they care about all the syrian refugee children that i went and spent time with at the border of syria and jordan while the obama administration basically had a tan tie because it was so worried about appeasing Iran and not doing anything in Syria to upset Iran. Uh, do, do they are they up late at night, you know, losing sleep because of those kids? I, I'm, I'm just wondering, well, what, you know, those kids who had their whole families in some cases machine gunned in front of them, disappeared, Assad's death squads, took them out. No, oh, no, no. It's just these kids now because it's useful against Trump. By the way, are they are they losing sleep or are they doing anything about the kids in foster homes across the country? The uh, the orphans, kids who are abandoned. Americans, our fellow Americans, a lot of them are minority children, black and Hispanic kids that don't have parents that are in the system, in the foster care system. Are they, are they losing sleep over that? No, no, no. Just 
just these kids at this time. They weren't losing sleep when Obama was in charge, and the same practice was happening. Oh my gosh, the hypocrisy. Cynthia Nixon, world-class nincompoop. That's right. That's what she is. Got a lot more, team. Stay right there. Recently, I've been getting all my style tips from the clothing experts at Peter Millar. And if you're like me and you love wearing some golf gear when you're out and about, you know the name. If you don't, you should, because Peter Millar is all about quality, value, and style. It's the most comfortable clothing I've ever worn. And right now, I'm wearing their performance sport shirt. That's right. I like to do it when I'm in the radio mode, because guess what? It's kind of wicking. It has a lot of breathability. It's comfortable. And Molly says it makes me look like a handsome dad, even though I'm not a dad yet. So I'm all about it. Peter Millar stuff is top quality. I love their gear. And the performance sports short that I'm wearing is the most comfortable shirt I've ever worn. I can say that about everything that I've gotten from Peter Millar. And right now you can head over to PeterMillar.com slash buck to check out some of my favorites. Be sure to use my link and you'll receive complimentary shipping and a free hat. That's Peter Millar, M-I-L-L-A-R.com slash buck. PeterMillar.com slash Buck. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. I love shopping on the internet. I've become so lazy. I don't want to have to actually go anywhere, interact with any human beings. Have to talk to people about what sizes they have in stock or what I need to regrout my kitchen floor. I look it up online. I buy it online. But guess what, folks? That's got that's gotten more expensive as of today, courtesy of the Supreme Court, which makes me very sad. They have a ruling on taxing Internet based businesses that's going to affect every single person listening to this show. It's going to make things more expensive and more annoying. But I want to give you the details of just how dare I say, lame, this Supreme Court decision actually is. For that, we've brought in a buddy of mine and a tax expert. Ms. Maddie Dupler is with us now. She is a senior fellow at the National Taxpayers Union, also a visiting fellow. She's a double fellow at the Independent Women's Forum. Ms. Dupples, good to see you. <laughs> hey, Mike, good to see you. So Maddie and I also bumped into each other recently at Fox, and it was like it was like long-lost pals. Because she used to do our show, Real News at the Blaze, and we missed Maddie because she had to. She then just focused more on you know commerce and business and 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 her career. But we liked hanging out with her doing the TV show <laughs> when we could. So Maddie, tell me about this uh, this internet sales tax bonanza that's going to happen now. It's making me sad. Yeah, Buck, as you said, I have lots of sads all day because of what the Supreme Court ruled this morning. And frankly, I was a little surprised. I thought that we would see a decision from the Supreme Court that was a lot like the Masterpiece Cake decision um, last week or two weeks ago, which would be narrow in scope, wide in vote. Um, Instead, we had a 5-4 decision where the Supreme Court basically tossed out 30 years of precedence and said, listen, the way that we have been contemplating interstate commerce and how we're taxing interstate transactions, all garbage, we need to start over. Um, And there's several problems with this. But one is that what they did is they rejected the notion of physical presence. So in 1992, the Supreme Court considered this question of, you know, what does it take? How 
why, what does the state have to prove in order for a business to be liable to its tax structures? And it decided that the business has to have a physical presence in the state. So that makes sense, right? You know, you've got a business that operates within the bounds and the geography of that state. It is under the onus of that taxing authority. So today, the tax, uh, the Supreme Court said, no, we don't believe that standard uh, can be adaptable for modern times. We think we need to revisit this. And what was at the heart of the question was a law in South Dakota. And basically what South Dakota had done was it looked at this physical presence standard and said, no, no, we don't want to do this. We think that there's a lot of revenue out there that we're missing out on and we want to get our hands on it. So we're going to write a law that flouts the precedent and the legal standard for interstate commerce and basically challenged the Supreme Court to take it up, uh, knowing full well that the law that they had written did not um, did not work with the legal standards in place in the United States. And the, so this law was passed in 2016, and today we have the Supreme Court decision on it. So I have a lot of concerns about how this is going to move forward. Number one is that we basically have now eroded what was a barrier to taxation that protected all Americans. Geography essentially has served as a ceiling that dictates what constituencies can handle when it comes to levels of taxation. Because essentially in the United States, if you live in a high tax state and you don't want to live in a high tax state, you either move out of that state or you vote the politicians who pass the high taxes on to you out of office. What the Supreme Court said today was, you know, we're going to give taxing authorities the ability to tax people who don't live and don't vote for them in the state or the locality where they reside. Now taxing authorities in the United States essentially have borderless authority to tax any American involved in commerce. And I find that very, very worrisome as someone who wants taxes to remain low and government to remain small. This is a giant step away from those principles. So if, if, I, just, if, I, if I go on electronicbay.com, also known as eBay, <laughs> and I decide that I'm going to purchase from somebody a a Winston Churchill bust uh, from, let's say, uh, you know, from from Wichita, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Now they can can they tax that transaction too? I mean, who gets to put the tax on this now? Or here, a better example would be this, Maddie. When, when I go online now and I buy something from Amazon, are they forced now to add the tax to whatever I purchase wherever I live? How does this actually get implemented is what I'm getting at. What will this mean yeah, for folks so sitting at home who are like, I want to go buy a bunch of Fabergé eggs online. <laughs> Who's going to tax them for it? Yeah, Buck, that's a great question. And I don't know the answer to it. And neither does anyone else. And that's the problem here. We've got 12,000 different taxing jurisdictions in this country. And all of a sudden, the Supreme Court has said, every single one of you, you figure it out. You figure out how you can tax and align your protocols with the next state and the next municipality. And, you know, the people who are shopping online, sure, it will be a cost to them and they'll see it show up when they're trying to check out and and ring up their purchases online. But the real difficulty here is for people who sell online. You know, Amazon does charge sales tax on its transactions for its products. What it doesn't Mm -hmm. do is it doesn't collect the sales tax for transactions for third-party vendors. And this, of course, has been a platform that small businesses across the country have been able to use and has widened up and expanded their marketplaces. Those are the guys who are going to suffer at the hands of this decision. So there's a lot of people who want to draw a false choice saying that this is a a good decision for Main Street and it really goes after big business. And I would argue that that's a completely unsophisticated way of understanding the way the 21st century market works. I mean, the biggest democratizing thing that has happened in business is the Internet. 
we've been able to distill down what has been an incumbent game by having the Internet. And small businesses across the country have been able to increase their influence as a result of it. Do you have any sense, any scary numbers to tell us about how much more money this is going to take out of the American people's pocket and give it to greedy states? <laughs> oh, man, I, I you know, I, 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 I don't even want to venture a guess because it could be huge. I think the biggest difficulty here is that not only do we now have no lines keeping taxing authorities, uh, reining them in in certain localities, but we've now opened the door to a question of where does this end? It's not just taxing authority that's been expanded. What, is, what if the question is regulatory authority? What if California decides not only do we want to tax every, every transaction that is adjacent to our state, but what if we want to export all of our regulations that we have here in the great, great People's Republic of California? This Supreme Court decision seems to raise the question that there may not be the limits that we, that we suppose as members of this great federalist society um, and I think that that is a question moving forward. This is not the last time that the court will have to visit this. Uh, Congress can act and Congress should act to clarify. I think that I certainly and many of the experts on this issue are still sorting through what exactly that would look like. Um, and of course, as Congress is wont to do, I worry that Congress will overcorrect uh, and try to instill different definitions of what what constitutes business transactions and nexus. Um, and really start to mess with the geographical boundaries that have kept taxes, at least in some states, quite low. Uh, but that's a question that remains for both, both for the Supreme Court when this is challenged again on grounds of different laws and different ways that states handle this issue, um, but also if regulatory questions rise yeah. uh, and whether or not Congress has the political will to do something about it. Uh, we, we really do need to, guys in the freedom out there, we need to work on that lease for Bucktopia in the South Pacific. No, no taxes there. That's what we're going to do. Matty <laughs> Duppler, everybody, Senior Fellow National Taxpayers Union. Matty, great to have you. Thanks for hanging out. Great to talk to you, Mike. See you soon. Team, quick break. We come back. I'm going to tell you about how people are being mean to conservatives at restaurants right near where I am. Team, I've got an update for you on that story about uh, Kirsten Nielsen. Remember, we, we, we uh, just a few blocks from where I do this broadcast in the swamp in Washington, D.C., there were these uh, Democrat socialists of, of the metro D.C. area or something, you know, a group of uh, middling and unimpressive ne'er-do-wells live streaming their shame, shame, shame chant while a, a DHS. Uh, secretary was just trying to sit down and and have a meal. You know, she's just trying to just trying to enjoy her tacos, folks. You know, I you know I can't, can't have some refried beans and a and a margarita, or if she's really smart, just some delicious mezcal. Uh, can't do that without people yelling at her. Apparently not. Apparently that can't happen. Right? Well, it's very frustrating because there's no more decency. There's there's no honor in politics anymore, for the left at least at all. None. It's just whatever works, whatever allows you to shame the conservatives. You know, we joke around here on my show, Rising, that we, we, we are different from so many others because we don't try to own the libs and we don't try to shame the conservatives. Now, I obviously could own the libs a lot more than I do, but I choose not to because I'm being nice. Because that's the man, that's the mission of the show. But with libs, they try to just shame conservatives all the time. And they really only have two pop culture references that come up time and time again, by the way. 
Harry Potter, they're always like, that person's like Voldemort. And that one scene from Game of Thrones where Cersei Lannister walks naked through King's Landing and Pete, and that woman stands behind her ringing the bell going, shame, shame. I mean, it was actually a really, it was a very powerful scene, but the point here I'm making is you know, they're, they're, they should maybe maybe try reading reading adult books, you know, <laughs> books that make you think a little bit more. I know, Harry Potter lovers, don't get mad at me. I know, I'm sure it's great. Miss Molly loves Harry Potter, tells me that it's, you know, very well written and all that. I get it, I get it. Uh, but... Here's here's what here's what what happened with the Nielsen thing. Uh, it turns out that there was a Department of Justice employee among those who were yelling shame, shame at Kirsten Nielsen, uh, a, a DOJ. Now, not a senior one. I forget what her what her particular role was. It's not this isn't like the deputy director of something or other. Uh, but there was a DOJ employee among them, which just goes to show you, folks, what I've been telling you all along. The left-wing infiltration of elite government institutions has mirrored the left-wing infiltration of academia and the arts and Hollywood. The, these places, they require advanced degrees. They require people to go usually through certain kinds of programs and schooling. They have become incubators for pretty radical progressivism. You know, they've got these people that go to, you know, Brown, which is a university full of people who think they're much more impressive than they are. I'm just saying, you you can, at me, you can hate on me for that one, but it's so left-wing. I don't, they don't get grades. I mean, the whole thing is just a scam. And I've known a lot. I had a lot of friends who went to Brown. And a lot of people, I've got a family member who went to Brown. Brown just trains people to think they're awesome. And I, I've never met anybody that I was like, wow, you must have learned a lot at Brown. That's all I can say, okay? It's among the most liberal schools in the country. But people go from places like that to the Department of Justice, right? Maybe they make a little stopover at Yale Law School or something, which is also really progressive and left-wing. And then they find themselves in the DOJ, and people think, well, fuck, there must be a lot of conservatives at these places, too. And I say, yeah, but conservatives show up, and they just do their jobs. We can separate in our mind. You, You know, the way that we approach our lives, conservatives in general approach their work in their lives the way Americans generally do when it comes to you know their day-to-day versus you know say what you see in a in a theocracy Uh, say what you see in a country like saudi arabia you know what i mean we're like yeah we're doing our thing we can separate it out we don't have to we don't have to bring our beliefs in everything we do you know saudi arabia they won't sit in a meeting with a woman right that's progressives have that view of their politics meaning they can't they just job right they won't put aside their beliefs. And that's why we see this. This is an ideological infection. I mean, it is a plague at the upper at the upper reaches, in particular, the bureaucracy. Look at Mike Hayden. I'm really disappointed. This guy, I worked for Hayden. He's tweeting out photos of concentration camps. Is he is he a moron? Does, does he not know what really happened at those concentration camps? I'm sure he does. He thinks that somebody being separated from mommy for a few days while people are Feeding, clothing, giving medical attention, letting play with toys, giving exercise, and going to bring back, you know, the, the whole family. I'm not saying it's a I'm not saying it's a, a good thing or I wouldn't be sad, right? But I'm just to compare that to marching people to their deaths in in gas chambers? I mean, are you how dumb can you how crazy can you be, right? Brennan, same thing. Brennan's lost it. 
that guy, the bald guy, who kind of sort of make-believe ran for president and third-party ticket or whatever, he's running around there. He also worked for the government. He's crazy, too. He acts like Trump is is basically getting wire transfers every week from Putin and taking orders from the FSB. I mean, he's just nuts. So that's why when you see the Kirsten Nielsen thing and there's a DOJ employee who shows up at a restaurant and just causes this commotion and harasses somebody, it doesn't surprise me at all. Oh, but by the way, not only was there a DOJ employee, hat tip daily caller for that, for breaking that report, that story. Also, they've done this again. This is now a thing that they will do. In fact, not only did they did protesters find another administration official to harass while he was trying to eat. Last night, Stephen Miller was found at a, yes, you guessed it, a Mexican restaurant in D.C., a different one. Uh, this Oh, I'm sorry, this was Sunday at Espita Mezcaleria, which I just bring up because you know who ate there two weeks ago? The guy you're listening to right now on the microphone. I did. It was pretty good. Not great. I give it a B. But this guy was trying to have dinner, and patrons called out Miller, and they said, uh, they yelled, hey, look, guys, whoever thought we'd be in a restaurant with a real-life fascist begging for money for new cages? Um, so, they, you know, this guy's getting heckled at restaurants now, too. Did you ever have Obama administration officials getting heckled at restaurants? You know, did you ever have people that were just trying to work for the, work for the administration who weren't allowed to have some peace and quiet? I got to tell you, some, some of the progressives I know because, look, I'm in, a, I'm in a mixed environment here at the Hill. We got, we got progressives, we got conservatives. I got my man Joe Concha with me on the right, but I got a lot of, there are a lot of progressives around me. Some of the progressives here are like, yeah, that's right, they, they shouldn't have any peace. You know, some of the progressive writers that I've talked to, and just in D.C. in general, yeah, they, they, they shouldn't allow these administration officials to have, be able to have a meal without getting harassed. I'm like, really? No decency, no honor, no manners. That, that that's, should be the new bumper sticker for the left. So you know, they, they're doing this now. They're finding people at restaurants. So basically, guys, I got to get famous enough that they start heckling me at restaurants. But I do, one day, I also would say that at some point, the folks need to know that uh, the little skinny beta male protesters, they don't want to get up in my face. I may look like I am in my early 20s, but I've got old man strength. I know how to throw a punch. I'm just saying. So I'm a fair warning for whether it's Antifa or the Metro DC socialist whatever clowns. See all these guys all the time. They all weigh about 110 pounds soaking wet and have like wispy facial hair. And I'm like, we won't stand for Trump. We, you know, all that stuff. They they, need to stay away from the buck, man. All right. All right. We'll be right back. Our sponsor this half hour is Nine Line Apparel. I want to tell you about them. They are relentlessly patriotic. They are veteran-inspired. They support the Second Amendment. They're all about showing love to our first responders. And they have gear that ranges from just the stylish chill-out session to performance wear. You've got to check them out. Nine Line Apparel is a veteran-owned and operated patriotic lifestyle brand. T-shirts, hoodies, tank tops, sweatshirts, all of the stuff that you want. I stand for the national anthem. Stomp my flag, I'll stomp your butt in the halls of Valhalla. These are just some of the designs and brands you'll see when you go to NineLineApparel.com and 
Type in the coupon code, by the way, BUCK20. When you type in BUCK20, you get 20% off your entire order. It also shows them that you're part of Team Buck and you want to give a high five to them and to us. NineLineApparel.com, coupon code BUCK20 for 20% off NineLineApparel.com. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Ready. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to our three team of the Buck Sexton Show. I really do hope you've already had a chance to listen to the Freedom Hut. With Buck Sexton. It is the new podcast just out last night. Hoping everybody listening to this radio broadcast across the country will check out the podcast. It's quick. It's fun. I think you will really enjoy it. And uh, it's going to be a weekly thing. More of a laid back chill session. Think of it like if we were sitting around having a beer, this is how I would talk about some of the things that come to mind. So uh, I I hope you all enjoy it. I'm also going to be looking at a lot of your feedback on it, but I need you to hear it if you're going to give me feedback. So all you do is go on into the Apple Store, and then do a search for the Freedom Hut, and it'll pop up. It should be in the Buck Sexton feed already. You can listen to it there, but I'm hoping you'll subscribe to it, uh, and please do check it out. So I had a chance to sit down with uh, Mark Meadows. He's on the House, uh, House over, does House Oversight, and is somebody who, you know, is looking very closely at what's going on here with the FBI and uh, what's happening with the DOJ and the needs for reform. And you know what, guys, I got to tell you, you can see that this whole collusion thing is going nowhere. And there's going to be such a such a CYA effort from the media and from FBI and DOJ. It's going to be amazing to watch. Right. But nothing can shock me anymore. After we've seen with this whole immigration situation, where, you know, Trump's not doing anything. And then Trump does exactly what they've been telling him to do. Oh, my gosh, Trump didn't do it fast enough, and he's still a Nazi. I mean, the stuff they're saying is crazy. Uh, They're going to act like they weren't telling. A year ago today, or, you know, a year ago this month, remember when the the stuff came out about the Trump Tower meeting, and they were gearing up for Trump is going to be impeached for being a traitor because he worked with Russia to to undermine the election, right? It was an illegitimate election because of Trump working with Russia. Just a crazy conspiracy theory and a lie. And we're going to, this is all going to run out of steam pretty soon. We know it's going to happen. And some of the folks who were involved in creating this mythology of Russia collusion are going to just hope to evade any and all accountability for it. We cannot let that happen. We cannot allow for a a replay of what happened with the IRS during the Obama administration when you had that targeting, the only person that caught a little bit of real heat for that was Lois Lerner. And she ended up getting her pension and everything else, right? They were targeting conservatives in an election year, folks. The IRS was doing that. And, and we're, what real consequences did the government face? Oh, Obama won re-election. I mean, no consequences. None. Could you imagine? I mean, if the Democrats found out that a Republican administration was overseeing an IRS that was actively and unquestionably targeting them based on their left-wing ideology, they would lose their minds. And they've already lost their minds. So we can't let them just 
get away from this. We need the documents. We need to know what happened with Strzok. We need to know what happened with the interview of General Flynn. Uh, this is, you know, when Mueller doesn't have anywhere else to go, when the collusion probe finally winds down, they're going to try really hard to keep us from finding out, hey, hold on a second. Did they just decide to to jam up General Flynn because they could? Was that what happened? Was that the decision that they made? Uh, so we, you had uh, Congressman Goodlatte speaking earlier today about Peter Strzok, the now, well, not not yet fired, but removed from headquarters FBI agent. Here's what you have to say. Play 10. Absolutely. He's got to appear before the committee. Uh, we believe we have an agreement for him to appear next week. Uh, it's important that he appear for an interview and then we'll have a public hearing uh, after that. Uh, and we are prepared to issue a subpoena for anything that's necessary to do. But uh, if he appears voluntarily, we're good. But if he reneges, uh, he'll see a subpoena immediately. Going to get subpoenaed. He's got to show up. I am so curious to hear what what he has to say. Now, I know not all of it is going to be. uh, I I know not all of it will be stuff that we could probably hear. But nonetheless, if we get the answers, we finally can find out what's going on here. uh, Then I think we'll be in a place where we can put together the we can we can put together the real picture, right? If we if we get this information, the three hundred twos, the FBI version of what went on with general flynn i i think and i'm calling it right now we can mark this down as a prediction we are going to find out that initially the fbi did not think flynn lied and then a senior person came along either Mueller or mccabe at the fbi and said nope you gotta charge flynn because remember you go back to when they charged flynn that made all the rest of this to the left seem more legitimate legitimate Whenever we would say, hold on, this whole Russia thing, we were trying to slow it down in the early stages. This Russia collusion mess, guys, this is a joke. There's up oh, incoming national security advisor pleaded guilty to a felony. Oh, he's a he's going to be a convicted felon now. They would just say that this became the the mantra, the talking point. They would shout you down. Oh, there's nothing to Russia collusion. It's just a bunch of Facebook accounts that Mueller's indicting. What about Flynn? Felon. Oh, you mean that they may have manufactured that prosecution? They may have abused prosecutorial power and discretion for political purposes? Oh, that's what may have happened. Isn't that interesting? We may find that out from Strzok, too. Guess what question they're going to ask Strzok when he appears before the committee? They're going to ask him, did General Flynn, in your opinion, because you interviewed him about the... Phone call with Sergei Kizilyak, the ambassador to Russia. Did he lie? If he says no, this we are going to have a huge reckoning. Um, and we are going to have to demand justice. By the way, if, if they decided after the fact to bring a, a charge of lying against. By the way, this is, this is one of those areas where prosecutorial discretion is everything. What's an important lie and what's not? In the eye, it's really in the eyes of the prosecutor. What's perjury and what's misremembering? It's in the eyes of the prosecutor. This is what they did to Scooter Libby, too, by the way. Couldn't get him on an actual charge. They said, well, you lied about a thing that you didn't, that wasn't criminal that you did, but we're going to get you on lying about the non-criminal thing. You know, a prosecutor can, can decide to let that go, can give you the benefit of the doubt and say you misremembered, or they can decide to make you a felon and ruin your life. We all know that Flynn did not get the benefit of the doubt. 
We definitely know that Hillary and her folks got more than the benefit of the doubt. So this is why it's so important to stay on this and keep this information. Uh, well, keep, keep this quest for information in the front of uh, in the front of our, our minds uh, in so far as we actually think about this. Right. I know you're like, Buck, I got other things to think about. Of course I do, too. But well, I do think about this stuff a lot. And then you got Goodlot and Jordan talking about getting documents from Rosenstein. Play 11. We have now access to over a million documents in a room at the Department of Justice that we can see unredacted. And then we can point to individual documents and uh, demand that they be produced. But there are other things in that subpoena where we specifically asked for. Some have been complied with, some not. Uh, And the speaker made it very clear that if they didn't produce them this week, uh, that they would face the resolution which has already been introduced. If they don't give us the documents, we are going to pass a resolution on the House floor. This, the Speaker has been clear. They will, we will pass that, and the whole House will go on record saying, Mr. Rosenstein, give us what we're entitled to have to get answers for the American people. And then if he still doesn't do that, then it's contempt. I like what Jim Jordan's putting down here, but let me tell you something. I spoke to Congressman Shabbat today of Ohio. And see, the Bucks work in the network all the time now, folks. And uh, he's on the uh, Judiciary Committee. And I said, what happens if you would get to the point of a contempt, uh, contempt citation for FBI and DOJ? He goes, well, we can go to a judge, but ultimately, kind of just hope you work it out. And I said, well, what if the president says they have to release the documents? Their executive branch he goes, well, he can order that, but ultimately, you have to just kind of work it out. This, is ha- this has been the strategy of the hashtag resistance from the beginning, folks. Just don't do what you're supposed to do in government because there's no accountability. I think we're going to see a situation where the FBI and the DOJ, no matter who says it, whether it's the president or the Congress, they just won't turn over documents. They're going to try to hold out until the midterms. That's what I think is going to happen here, which, by the way, is a real crisis of government. And I think it is looming right now. Home title theft is a big deal, and it can be a terrifying ordeal. You know, the FBI says that home title theft is one of the fastest-growing crimes out there, and if you have ever had your credit card stolen, it is nothing. Nothing. I mean, I've had my credit card stolen a few times. That's nothing compared to what's going to happen once an identity thief takes control of your, your home's title. It's not that hard to do. All the bad guys need is Internet access. They get the information they need online. They replace your home's title. They replace your name with an alias. Then they borrow every penny they can using your home's equity. And then you have to deal with the payments. It will not protect you that you have an insurance policy. Identity theft policies, uh-uh, they don't work either. What you need is home title lock. For just pennies a day, home title lock protects my most valuable asset, my family home. Register now for a free analysis and discover if your home's title has been compromised. That's a $60 value free. Visit HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Hypocrisy, my friends, hypocrisy. It's one of the great defining characteristics of the Democrat Party and and its allies in the media or the extension of the Democrat Party that is the mainstream media. But, you know, on this issue of the parental separation at the border, I mean, the the sanctimony has been 
fast and furious, man. It has been all over the place. Oh my gosh, they're putting them in cages as animals. It's terrible what they're doing. They're treating them like animals. Oh. And people have been completely losing their minds over this, right? Uh, they're just completely freaking out. And there's a, a really important point to be made here, which is that this tactic, which is the main objection of separating families when there's a criminal proceeding, and just all those are separating families, you're arresting somebody. When you arrest somebody, the kids don't get to go in the cell with them. I mean, this happens in law enforcement across the country all the time. Okay, so they're arresting people. That somehow is getting lost in this process because it's illegal to cross the border. But these things are complicated for liberals. They can't really handle them very well. But what about the fact that this was happening under the Obama administration? Fact. Not not a dispute there. Not a this was a tactic that was used that was in practice during the Obama administration. Uh, CNN's Brooke Baldwin, who I will say, full disclosure, I like on a personal level, and I think among the CNN anchors, she makes the best effort to be fair. So I will say that, you know, I, and I and I will never trash somebody who is a a personal friend of mine uh, because I think that that's dishonorable. She does work at CNN, and I think CNN is the enemy of truth. But I like Brooke; she's a, she's been a good person uh, whenever I've dealt with her. So, but but she asked she's asking a real question here of this congresswoman. I don't, I don't even know which congresswoman it is it doesn't it's a democrat that's all you really need to know uh but she asks her about what's going on at the border or what was going on at the border years ago with obama you know did anybody did you have a problem with what was going on then and here is what democrat congresswoman here's how the response goes play it john for Democrats, because you hear the president now, you know, a lot on a lot of topics. And this one inc- inc- included, you know, looking back to previous administrations. Uh, well, they, they should have done more. Right. And so as so many people in this country are certainly outraged by the cages and the thermal blankets and the facilities housing these kids, you know, they were all there in 2014 under President Obama. And my question to you, Senator Baldwin, is did you speak up against them then? You know, on the on this issue that. We get into a moment where we're making progress, and then when it uh, when it stalls, uh, we turn around. I think we all need to continue to be focused on it and press it through. The American people need confidence that we can solve problems. Nobody believes that we have uh, an immigration system that works. Okay, (laughs) did you? I know I was messing with a little bit underneath there, but guys, that was the biggest non-answer. That's the biggest non-answer ever seen in my life. I I think the American people, the confidence, immigrate in, you know. She said, did you make a big deal of this when Obama was doing it? That's the question. Uh, immigration, confidence, and the American people. Uh, in. It's Senator Tammy uh, Baldwin, by the way. Uh, so, Senator, wow, it's a uh, senator. I thought it was a, I thought it was a congresswoman. Pardon me. Senator Tammy Baldwin. Whoa. Gosh, what state does she represent? What the heck is wrong with that? Wisconsin? Wisconsin, what is going on with you guys? You you voted for this person? Uh, yeah, immigration. Uh, I, uh, uh. And Brooke Baldwin at CNN, to her credit, I hey, I, I say good things are good. I say bad things are bad. To her credit, she pushes back. And 
and basically gives the senator, pardon me for saying she was a, a congresswoman before, gives the, the, the senator another another at bat here to actually answer the question. Remember, the question is, did you care when Obama was separating families at the border, when parents and children were separated by Obama during his administration? Did you care? And, and here's her second attempt. Play it. But were you worried about it then? Did you raise your voice under the Obama administration? You know, in numbers of cases, usually uh, I remember a constituent who was in detention at the border, uh, arguably uh, very inappropriately. Um, and we, uh, you know, we raised our voice in that instance and many others. But that's, uh, we've got to do this now in unison. It's not enough to do it case by case or senator or house member by house member. We've got to resolve to fix this issue. <laughs> Did you hear that? You know, I think there might have been a guy at some point somewhere that maybe something said, you know, yeah, there was a guy that, that was at the border, you know, a long time ago. I think he wears T-shirts sometimes. I, I helped that guy. Yeah, that guy. You know, that one. This is kind of like the, uh, is, is it Norm? Uh, John, you know, you know the show Cheers where Norm goes on Jeopardy? It was a long time ago. Oh, Cliff. Thank you, Cliff. Not Norm. Cliff. Cliff goes on Jeopardy. And he and his answer to the to the to the Jeopardy final Jeopardy question is you know you know someone who's never been in my kitchen. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's that's technically true. And uh, Senator Tammy Baldy here's like eh, there may have been a guy uh, uh, um a guy at the border um inappropriate and border and collective action and ra- uh, raising awareness. Just blather. She's just blathering. This is like what she's saying doesn't even make it's not even really English. I mean, it's words, but they're they're just strung together. I, I you know I I think it's funny because how else could you? There are so many ways to answer that question. Just say, oh yes, you know the, the Democrat Party definitely was concerned about the issue. No one can disprove that, really, right? I mean, it's it's not accurate, but that's that's just like your opinion, man, right? But instead, uh, there may have been uh, one person. Woo, Wisconsin, man. I'm telling you, your cheese is amazing, and your people are wonderful. I actually had a roommate from Wisconsin when I lived in D.C. over a decade ago. I had a Wisconsin roommate. Their, ni- their family was the nicest people. They're so nice they could have been Canadian. Uh, but what's up with this senator? All right, guys, you could do better than this. This Tammy Baldwin, this is, you, you can do better. That's all I can tell you, all right? It's just craziness. Uh, and, and here's the real answer. No. When Obama was doing this, yes, there were a few left-wing groups here and there that are, you know, open borders, hard, you know, hardline open borders advocates who may have made some noise about it. But in fact, the the hypocrisy here is so strong that they will use photographs from the Obama era around the border and blame Trump for it. They're like, look at these terrible photos of what was going on at the border from when Obama was president. Thanks, Trump. How does that work? Of course, it doesn't work, but they don't care. They just want to be upset at Trump. That's I'm going to tell you something. That's been a bigger part of all of this than uh, that's been a a bigger part of this even than than the political win. There was just a need for a collective scream. Ah! Remember that woman who did the scream, you know, after Trump won? This was the political equivalent of that. 
They wanted to just scream about how Trump, Trump's a Nazi, I hate Trump. Ah! You know, they just wanted to freak out about it. And this was their opportunity to do it. The fact that the tactic is anew, that the rule of law is was being shredded by Democrats on the border. None of that matters. They just want to yell about how much they hate Trump. All right, I'll be right back. He's holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. So there are some fantastic things about this president. One of them is that he's really, really entertaining. And he reminds us of things like the man bun is never a good idea unless you are, in fact, a samurai warrior in feudal Japan. I'm sorry. I just I can't get excited about the man bun and neither can President Trump. He was at a uh, rally in Duluth, Minnesota last night, and some guy showed up, drove two and a half hours, apparently, just so he could go and heckle the president. And he was a dude with a man bun. And this is how the president decided to uh, deal with this particular heckler. Play it. Was that a man or a woman? Because he needs a haircut more than I do. (laughs) Oh, man. I couldn't tell. Needs a haircut. This president, man, you 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 come at the Trump. You best not you best not miss if you're going to try to bring the insult game his way. You know, if you're going to try to be that guy, man bun, I got to tell you. It's it's something I occasionally was I was seeing it in New York for a while. Tough thing to pull off. Tough thing to pull off. If I'm going to be totally honest with you, there was a very brief period in college where my hair was long enough because I wasn't getting it cut very often that occasionally during some sports I would man bun it, and I that will live in infamy, folks. That will live. There are fortunately no photos of this. Zero photos exist. Thank heavens it was before everyone had photography on their cell phones, right? I mean, whew. Can you imagine Buck with the man bun circa 2002? That was, that would be uh, no bueno, but it was a thing that happened. But Trump shut this guy down, and, and he wasn't even done with the, uh, <laughs> with, he wasn't even done with his commentary on the man bun. He, he kept it going. He, he told him where this protester needs to go. Play it. So we have a single protester. He's going home to his mom. Say hello to mommy. And tomorrow, the fake news will say tomorrow, massive protests at the Trump rally. One person. See, you know, he makes a really important point there. The fake news always tries to hide CNN. Number one, others as well. They try to hide behind this. Oh, no, we reported that. Oh, no, that's a, we're factually accurate. We're factually accurate. Oh, but they're always looking for ways to inflate certain aspects of the narrative. They're always looking for ways to focus on certain parts of the coverage to tell a, a narrative that is helpful to Democrats, helpful to the left, and hurts Trump and conservatism. That's what they do. But this, this guy with the man bun, I will say this, to show up at a Trump rally, Surrounded by a sea of red MAGA hats. 
and rocking your man bun, go up and start trying to yell about how Trump is, I don't know what he was saying, uh, you know, a fascist or it was something like that. There is a certain degree of chutzpah there, I, I will say. I think it's, it's a dumb idea, but wow. This guy is, uh, is deciding to go right right into the lion's den, get himself some attention. But yeah, man, man bun is just never okay. And so Trump was really giving us a public service announcement. Just say no to the man bun. Now the ponytail, that's a whole other car- That's a whole other thing. What do we think of the ponytail, folks? You know, people get... I, I've talked ponytail before on this show. People get... For guys, not for girls. People get very opinionated about this one. I'll leave that one to all of you. But man bun, I give it the thumbs down. Roll Call is up next. Well, it's been quite a week here in the hut, my friends. And and I just want to say, first off, uh, thank you to all of you who have downloaded the, the Freedom Hut with Buck Sexton podcast. Even if you're a radio listener, if you've never listened to a podcast before, I hope you will check it out. It's only it's like 20 or 30 minutes. It's quick. It's just uh, kind of an update, a very, a very relaxed chat between us uh, in the in the hut. So it really would be uh, uh, very appreciated if you wouldn't mind downloading that. Just all you have to do, if you have the Apple store, go into you know iTunes or Apple. Click on store, type in the Freedom Hut, and then when you get there, you'll see there's a subscribe button. Click subscribe and download. So uh, so download it, but but click subscribe because then each one will pop into your inbox. And guys, I'm, I'm going to be experimenting with it a lot. I'm going to be uh, adding probably some fun guest interviews. People that I just really like, we're going to have a long chat over, not long, but you know, in-depth chat about whatever we think is important. Uh, there will be Commie Bear. There will be Angus McManus. There will be... Uh, Jean-Jacques, the French millionaire, all the characters from the original Buck Sexton show, they're going to live in the Freedom Hut uh, because I think that's the best place for it. So, like I said, uh, please do download it, and it means a lot. It means a lot to me to have you all. Look, it's it's all it's it's free, so there's that. The Freedom Hut is free, and uh, you can see we've got kind of a cool logo. It's red, white, and blue with a little island. Uh, so go into your iTunes store. We're going to get it up on Stitcher. I don't know if we're up on Stitcher just yet. We're working on the technology side for that. As in, I'm trying to figure out simple technological issues. So there you have it. All right, now you know what time it is. Team, this party's about to get lit. Feel those funky beats. It's time for Roll Call. All right. If you want to be a part of Roll Call, which is always fun, all you have to do is go on your Facebook account. Go to Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Send us a message, please. And many of you did just that. So we will get into it now. Karen. Oh, wait, no. Yes, Karen. Sorry. Here we go. Now I know why people got so excited about Commie Bear. How can you be so funny on so little sleep? Take care of yourself. I wonder about the way you were burning it at both ends of the candle from Karen. Well, Karen, thank you. I, I was very tired yesterday. Uh, and although some people say that when I get tired, this is just a thing that I've noticed. Some people who know me very well say that when I get tired, 
I'm a little less patient with things in general, which means I get a little grumpier and a little more fire in the belly to go after the bad guys, so to speak, to really take the fight to the enemy and to talk to them uh, at some level about, you know, basically I'm fiery when I'm, when I'm angry. When I get hangry, radio gets a little bit better sometimes. All right, first up, or next up here. Sorry, I keep messing that up. Uh, Brian writes, Buck, I'm in the battle space deployed. Would like to send you an email. OSS will be in D.C. in early July from Brian. Uh, well, Brian, send an email, officialteambuck at gmail.com. I'll get it there. And if you're in D.C., happy to give you some recs about good places to go, get a beer and all the rest of it. Uh, Dr. Lee writes, good morning, Buck. Great show. Oh, wait, no, that's not Dr. Lee. Why is this? It keeps giving me the wrong. Something's wrong with my Facebook. Steven writes, good morning, Buck. Great show, great hair. You're a smart man, Steven. You know how to get into the roll call. I'm listening to your podcast on my drive into work this morning, and you said that the Democrat position was that they only want to push for amnesty in regards to this border craziness. I have to respectfully disagree with you. Trump offered them an amnesty deal earlier, but they rejected it, saying it wasn't good enough. Really, what they want is the issue as a political tool. They don't actually want amnesty. They don't actually want to help these people. What they want is control and power. Keep up the good work. I'm loving all your new endeavors. And most of all, Shields High. Well, Stephen, thank you so much. I'll say this. Uh, there's a, I would agree there's a lot of truth in what you're saying here. Um, but I also think that they would take a full-scale amnesty with nothing else attached to it. They were, they're not even willing to trade amnesty for a wall which is, I think, where people really realize that the hope for, for Democrats is that they can keep this issue going forever. They don't want one amnesty. They want amnesty in perpetuity. They want amnesties going forward as far as possible uh, until, I, I don't know, until we are completely an open borders country. I do believe that is the end state for the Democrat Party. That is what they want. And remember, we'll say, oh, it'll dissolve the country. It's such a bad thing. They will say, no, we're just going to be in charge. America will be this massive statist enterprise that uh, takes from the productive and gives to the less productive. And there's no real patriotism. It's just force. It's the force of the state that will hold it all together. No sense of a unified political culture. The polity in the ancient Greek sense, in the uh, Platonic or Socratic sense of the term, will cease to exist and you will just have a super state in its place uh, and not super like Superman. Uh, so now that we've gone into that, we can hear from Dr. Lee. Here she writes. Hey, Buck, I'm loving the new show rising. It's great. Finally seeing you throw down some good arguments with a progressive in a fair environment. I would love for you to ask Crystal if someone shows up at the border illegally, what should be done with them? Because it sure seems like you would rather none of the laws be enforced and thus you would rather have open borders. I have a feeling I know what she would say. Well, Kristen, I, I did bring that up, in fact, today during the show. And for those of you who missed it, you can watch it at hill.tv slash rising. I said, I, I get the feeling Democrats really just want to tell everyone that they can stay. And, and I believe that. I think that that is true. So there you go. Dr. Lee, always good to hear from you. Give the hubs a high five from me and hopefully see you guys soon. Uh, James, next up here. Hey, Buck, I'm loving rising. But, of course, I have a couple of critiques. Your comment that this show is an opportunity to share thoughts from a different perspective without the snippiness, but Crystal is often quite snippy. 
She has no qualms about tossing a snide remark in your direction, but I have seen no retorts coming from you. Either you all keep it nice or not. P.S. You are not being mic'd correctly. Most often, you sound like you are being picked up by an area mic, more acoustic noise and reverb than a close body mic. Interestingly, Crystal doesn't seem to have that problem. Just saying, keep up the good fight. Uh, James, on the first comment, I I can't speak to what my co-host does because we are partners in this endeavor, and I want her to just be uh, as successful as possible in everything that we're doing. I can speak to my side of it and just say that I, whether it's with my co-host or anyone else on the show, I am, I have a mandate to be, uh, a gentleman. And that is not always easy. It's not easy in this media world. And sometimes I'll, I'll tell you the truth. It puts me at a disadvantage. Certainly would put me at a disadvantage sometimes at CNN because there I would think I was having a gentlemanly discussion. And then all of a sudden the ambush would be set. And, and, and then when you realize what's happening, meaning that all of a sudden the, the nastiness, the snippy comments, the, uh, the unfair personal dig, once that happens, then you got like 30 seconds before you're in commercial and you realize, oh, wait, what, what just, what was that? It's very much like the drive-by phenomenon that Rush talks about. They do drive-bys to people when they're guests on TV. Uh, but we, we'll try to work this out. And look, there will be some fireworks on the show. There are always... There always is the possibility of fireworks, and you have people that disagree as much as I do with Crystal, but we're going to try to keep them good-natured always. And am, do I have a particularly long fuse for somebody who does TV and media? Yes. Is that always to my advantage? No. But it's how I am, and my mom and little sister watch what I do, and I have to be a gentleman. So there you have it. But thank you, uh, James. And I'll, I'll look into the mic issue, too. I think you may be correct on that one. We've been having some audio issues. All right, Craig. Craig writes, Testudo Buck, just heard your latest podcast. Dobro pozelovak nazad. Russian for welcome back, Kami Bear. Well, thank you, Craig. And yeah, Kami Bear, his home is now the Freedom Hut podcast. So those of you who like the Freedom Hut podcast, you want yourself some Kami Bear. Uh, or if you want Kami Bear, you want the, you know what I'm saying. Uh, thank you, Craig, for the message. Great to hear from you. Much appreciated. Steven writes, loving the Freedom Hut. On martial arts, I have taken Taekwondo and did note the attempts to be a safe martial art. I like Krav Maga uh, much better because it is in philosophy straight for the throat. And it actually trains unarmed self-defense for modern weapons. Useful for anyone, but especially for me, being a non-sworn volunteer, I do not get to carry on duty. Uh, And uh, yeah, so there you have it. Thank you, Stephen, for writing in. I would say, you know, Krav Maga is better for self-defense than Taekwondo in my experience. I did, I did take some Krav Maga. I've done Taekwondo as well when I was really little, but I don't, can't pretend to really remember any. But I've seen enough of it to get a feel of it. And the truth is, I mean, high kicks are just inherently risky uh, and low probability of success in a self-defense scenario. That doesn't mean never. It just means rarely. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I, I will tell you that in my opinion at this point, without being somebody who is a, by no means a martial artist or a self-defense expert, but as an analyst who pays a lot of attention to things and learns about them, I would think that if you want to learn how to defend yourself, uh, you want a basis for striking, which would be, um, boxing, I think is probably the best one to start with because you're also, it's a basis for striking, but you're learning to hit and get hit, which is an important part of self-defense. And then some form of grappling. Uh, so, you know, you want boxing and wrestling would work. Boxing and jujitsu, honestly, probably a little bit better. 
uh, kickboxing and some form of grappling. You know, uh, th- that would be what I think is, is the best. Uh, and, you know, some fencing if you want to be really fancy and learn how to fight with a foil. An epee or a rapier. Uh, no, no, fencing is not good for defense. Although the footwork in fencing is useful for a whole lot of things, including, I mean, the footwork in fencing is not all that dissimilar from the footwork in Wing Chun, which is basically Kung Fu. Uh, so, and, and footwork is the basis of, well, really all martial arts, actually. So fencing does have some utility that way. But if, if somebody jumps you in a dark alley and you say, but wait, I don't have my foil, um, that's not going to help you. You're, they're probably going to punch you a little bit harder with that one. So here we go. Roger writes, Buck, how do I get your podcast? Now you've just started your new series. I'm only seeing 28-minute shows. Thanks. Uh, Roger, that 28-minute show is the first of the Freedom Hut podcast. If you want the Buck Sexton show, that's the full radio show I do. It should be in the same feed under iTunes. So search for uh, the Freedom Hut, see what pops up, download that, subscribe to that, and also search for uh, the Buck Sexton show. And you can get them all. Remember, the Buck Sexton Show is five nights a week. It's this radio show you're listening to right now. There's a podcast of this five-night-a-week radio show so people can listen on demand. There's also a podcast that is a completely separate product called The Freedom Hunt with Buck Sexton, which is just me sitting doing a podcast once a week, which we just started in the last 24 hours. And I really, really, really hope as many of you as possible will uh, download it, will listen to it, and, and will check it out. So there you go. Um, that's what we've got. Uh, tomorrow we're going to have a bit of a freestyle Friday. You know what that means. We're going to have all kinds of fun. And uh, until then, my friends, shields high.